the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the radio broadcast ministry of Kettering Baptist Church, where we minister in the spirit of excellence under the leadership of our anointed senior pastor, Bukas Sterling III. Please stay tuned at the end of this broadcast for information on how to obtain a copy of today's message in its entirety. And now, Pastor Sterling. I want to invite your attention this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we'll begin our reading at verse number 9. 1 Samuel chapter 1, and beginning at verse number 9, the word of God reads, So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall come upon his head. So we find ourselves in the beginning of this book of 1 Samuel. Tells a story of a man who has two wives. The senior, if you will, wife, name is Hannah. And his second wife, Penina. He loves Hannah. Hannah is barren. She has not had children. She has not born any children. And As a result, Elkanah, her husband, gives her double the portion when they go up to offer to the Lord. They go up to offer to the Lord once a year. But Penina would harass her and give her a hard time because she did not have children. And Hannah was distressed by this harassment and the perception that perhaps she was cursed of God because she had not born any children. On the surface, this story would appear that This is the story of a woman who is under great harassment by her sister wife and in the position of displeasure to her husband and in the grand scope of things that she's under a curse from God. And therefore, her desire is to remove all of the weight and the burden of that in order that she might acquire for herself a child, that she might have something for herself, that she might be able to satisfy her husband and silence her rival wife. That's what it appears on the surface. But as I look deeper into this story, what I realize is that Hannah has grown beyond the selfishness of being able to stand up to Penina and say, look here, I got a child too. She's grown beyond that. She's moved from that selfish position, though I believe she has been and is there at certain phases of the process. In fact, as she's provoked along the way, I mean, most of us would want the Lord to do something to cause our rival to, to stop bothering us. Her husband loves her and he says to her, honey, am I not better to you than 10 sons? 
and he gives her double the portions of and everything. But obviously, though Elkanah is a good husband, he's not what Hannah needs or what Hannah wants. He's not enough. He's not the fulfillment of what God has put as an emptiness in her heart. I want to talk to you on this morning from the subject matter, the life cycle of a mother. Because every mother needs to understand that being a mother is a blessing from God. Now, I understand, moms, that along the way, along the journey, along the cycle, there are periods and times when you wonder whether it was a blessing or not. Because we children have a way to vex our mothers. We, we all have done it from some time or another. And to cause them to bring into question the very notion that they had. That someday I want to have children. Amen. And I know that most mothers can probably attest that yes, it's a blessing, Pastor, but some days I wish I had never asked for such a thing. As I viewed this, this text and this progression of Hannah's coming into parenthood, I, I couldn't help but see it as a cycle of life of a mother. Because in this text, it begins there in verse number nine that Hannah has been weeping and, and she's been grieved of heart. She's not eating. And verse nine picks up and Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. And now Eli, the priest, was sitting at the seat of the doorpost on the tabernacle. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. The first movement of the text, if you will, is that I see that she prayed for the privilege of being a mother. She understood that being a mother was not a right, but rather a privilege. And she went to God, the place where she could have something done about her problem. And she took her petition to the Lord and prayed to God for the privilege of being a mother. And as you look there in the text, it says she was there in bitterness of soul and she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Now, some of her bitterness, some of her anguish, perhaps comes from this rival wife Penina but what happens in the process of time is that Hannah moves beyond just being stressed out by a sister wife and concerned by her husband not having uh, children born through her and even the issue that she may have for herself she moves to a place where she pleads to God for the privilege of being a mother not for the benefit of bragging herself but for the benefit of advancing the the kingdom of God. She moves out of this whole idea of being cursed and, and she understands it to be a privilege and she prays and she lays out her heart in bitterness and in anguish and watch this. Sometimes in prayer what happens is God begins to change you in the midst of your prayer. While she's praying and crying out to God and pouring her heart out to the Lord, she moves from just praying to God to making a vow to the Lord. Verse number 11 says, and said to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Stop right there. She is very specific, very emphatic about what she wants. She prays, first of all, out of her anguish and she's crying and she's weeping. But then she moves and she says, Lord, I vow a vow to you. Lord, don't forget me. Bless me, God, with a male child. You know, most folk, when they pray for a child, they, they just want the child to be healthy. 
Lord, give me a healthy, I, I don't care if it's a boy, I don't care if it's a girl, I just, Lord, let me make sure it has five fingers on each hand and five toes on each foot and, and, and one head. No, Hannah doesn't pray just for a healthy child. Hannah prays, Lord, bless me to be a mother of a male child because Hannah is interested in, in receiving something from God that she can give back to the service of God. See, what she understood is that her husband and Elkanah is of the Levitical line and, and a child born to, to a Levitical line would become a Levite and serve God. Uh, if it were a male child, it could go back into the house of God and serve God. And so she's moved to a place where she's asking God, God, give me a child that I can give back to you that will serve you. And Hannah prays, God, give me a male child because in the Levitical line or bloodline, I want a child that will be able to continue the bloodline of my husband and, and not only continue the bloodline of my husband, but also that will be able to serve you as a Levite. Now, as a Levite, he would have to serve from the age of 25 to age 50. But watch this. And this is what helps me to understand. She's growing deeper in her relationship and her prayer of having the privilege of being a mother goes deeper and it's beyond her. It's not just about her anymore because she says, not only do I want a male child, but look at what she said. Verse number 11. She said, if you give me a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. He only was supposed to serve 25 years, but Lord, I'm going to give him back to you all the days of his life. Then she goes even one step deeper. And she says, and no razor shall come upon his head. What she's saying here, Lord, bless me with a male child that might serve you, Lord, and I'll give him back to you all the days of his life. But I'll not only give him back to you as a Levitical servant, I'll give him back to you as a Nazarite under the Nazarite vow. As a Nazarite, he would never be able to eat the fruit of the divine, no grapes, no raisins, no vinegar, none of that. But also he would have to be set apart to God. To serve the Lord and the Lord only. He's in this position where he cannot touch dead bodies. He can't be near dead bodies, not even his own mother or his father. So in essence, what she's saying, Lord, give me a male child and I'll give him back to you. And even if I die or his father dies, I understand he can't come to comfort us. She wants a child that she can fully release. He will be able to have no contact with the dead, no intoxicating drink, no fruit of the vine. And he would be dedicated to the Lord all the days of his life to be consecrated to God. She prays for the privilege of being the mother of a child that will serve God all his life. She says, I'm going to give him back to you all the days of his life. No razor will come upon his head. Verse number 12. And it happened as she was praying before the Lord that Eli watched her. Now, what's going on in Israel right now? Israel is corrupt. Even in the house of God, they're corrupt. You'll see it later on if you keep reading through 1 Samuel. Even, even Eli's sons are doing crazy stuff. They're robbing the offering. They're having sex with the women inside the temple and all kinds of stuff. Israel is in a bad state of mind. And so watch this. Eli is supposed to be sitting at the door of the tabernacle being priestly. And he's paying attention to what's going on inside. And he's looking at her inside because she's in anguish and crying out and praying to the Lord. She's having a serious conversation with God, but Eli's being nosy and he's looking inside. And then Eli thinks because of her behavior, because she's praying to God, she's crying out to God, but her lips are moving, but nothing's coming out. And he says she must be drunk. The very fact that he accuses her of being drunk in the house of God tells you the condition of the spiritual nature of the people during this time. That they would come to the house of God, in the house of God, praying drunk. 
And so he accuses her of being drunk, but she turns back to him and she says, no, I'm not drunk. Somewhere around verse 15, Hannah answers him and says, no, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have not drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman for out of the abundance of my complaint and my grief, I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. Because as she's prayed out and poured out herself and made this petition to the Lord and laid it out in such a way that even that that it's no longer selfish. It's not about her. It's about the kingdom of God. I want a blessing so that it can be a blessing. I want to be blessed so I can bless with the blessing you give me. I want a male child that you will give me and I'll commit him to the Levitical priesthood and I'll commit him to Nazarite vow for all of his days. In other words, you're going to give him to me, God, but I'm going to give him back to you. And that's really what it's all about. And so she prays that prayer. And when she prays that prayer and, and Eli realizes she's not drunk. And Eli says, in essence, well, go ahead, go on about your way. May the Lord bless you. Now, I don't put a whole lot of stock in Eli's blessing because things ain't really going so well in Eli's house and with his own children. And, and he doesn't do too much to correct them either. But I don't put a whole lot of stock in that. But watch this. But when she leaves praying, when she leaves crying out to God, when she leaves the altar asking and petitioning God for the privilege of being a mother. Of such a child. She leaves with confidence. Look at verse number 18. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer saved. She had confidence in the God that she had prayed to that God is going to answer my prayer because now I have not prayed, God, give me a child so I can show Penina up. Give me a child so I can make Elkanah happy. No, she prayed. She said, now she realized her heart has changed. God, give me a child so I can give him back to you. And she's confident when she leaves, she's no longer sad and she's eating because before then she wouldn't even eat. And now she's, she leaves with confidence after she prays for the privilege of being a mother. The next movement of the text, if you will, as, as we look at this whole life cycle of a mother, um, oftentimes a mother will pray for the privilege of being a mother and, and God will grant that petition. But, but the next phase of, of mothering or parenting, if you will, we find in the next few verses. And that is that she prepared for the release as a mother picking up around verse number 20. It says, so it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. What Hannah does is she begins right off the bat preparing to release her son. In fact, the very name that she gives him reminds her of the vow that she made because his name means axed of God. So every time she says Samuel, it's a reminder to her that this didn't just come naturally and automatically. But no, I asked for him from God and I made a vow to God when I asked for him. If you give him to me, God, I'll give him back to you. And so she she gives him a name that reminds her that is a constant reminder to her that this child that I have is not mine. It's your child. And I'm giving him back to you. Sometimes I believe what happens in some mother situations is that they forget that the child that was given to them was given to them by God for God. And so they hold on to them too long and too tight and too hard. Amen. And so, and, and so, but the process, the, the, the process of parenting, if you will, the process of mothering, if you will, involves not only receiving the child from God, but preparing to release the child. Can I say that again? Your process as a parent is to release the child. You can't hold on to them forever. They 40 years old. Let them go. You're supposed to be raising them to release them. 
She, that, that was her plan. Look at the text. It says Elkanah is going up to the house, and he went up, verse 21. Elkanah, her husband, went up to the house, and he went to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vows. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will take him and that I may appear before the Lord and he may remain there forever. So what Hannah does, she says, look, I have a plan. My plan is I've got to nurture this boy. I've got to prepare this boy so I can release him to God so that he can serve God for the rest of his life. That's not a whole lot different from the plan that you as mothers ought to have. It ought to be that I receive this child, I nurture this child, I prepare this child so they can serve the Lord for the rest of their days. Because God has given you as mothers the opportunity and the privilege to raise up godly offspring. Now, I'm not just laying it on the mothers. Fathers, we've got responsibility too. We can't just parent them and take off. No, we've got the responsibility as parents to nurture them in the wisdom and in the admonition of God that they might know God, love God, and serve God. Watch this. As I, as I thought through this process and, and she's there nurturing this, this, this young boy and she's going to have him and she's going to nurture him for probably about three years. That she's going to nurture him and, and then she's going to wean him off. And that, that, that idea or concept of weaning means... Uh, slowly but progressively separating from him so that he can be independent. Not living in your basement, eating up all your food and watching your cable TV. No, separately, independently weaning him off so that he can be independent. Y'all catching this? Hannah is going to nurture this child till he's three years old and then release him because, watch this, she's received him to release him. That's part of the process of of being a mother, to receive the child, nurture the child, grow the child, prepare the child to stand on their own so that they can stand on their own and serve God and worship God. Because what she doesn't want to do, she doesn't want to bring Samuel to Eli and put Samuel in Eli's hand. And then Eli, who's supposed to be the priest, now he's got to worry about how are we going to get this boy changed? How are you going to get him milk? How are we going to, you know, all that. She, he doesn't have to worry about that. When she brings him to Eli, Samuel is already prepared to minister before the Lord. Because a whole lot of folk bring their children to the house of God and they turn them over to the Sunday school teacher and they turn them over to the pastor and they turn them over to the youth worker and they say, grow them up, do something with them because I can't. No, that ain't the church's responsibility. That's your responsibility. You're supposed to nurture them. You're supposed to groom them and then turn them over so they can serve God and worship God. She nurtures him and she weans him. She gradually separates herself from him in this process of time. And verse 24, I believe it is, picks up and says, Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her and three bulls, a one ephod of flour and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. They slaughtered one bull. And they brought the child to Eli. What I like about this is when she brought this child to release him, she brought him with an offering and she brought him with provision. She did not just raise him, wean him, go drop him off at the door of Eli's house and leave him there. No, she brought provisions for him. There's two additional bulls that are there as provisions. There's, there's flour and other provisions. There's, there's the wine for the drink offering and there's the bull for the offering because watch this, in order for him to enter into the service of the Lord, there's got to be some shedding of blood. Y'all don't hear me right here. So she, she brought an offering of the shedding of blood because in order for us to serve God, somebody had to serve some, share some blood. And if it 
had not been for the blood of Jesus Christ, you and I would not be able to serve him either. And But yet she offered the sacrifice so that he might be covered, that he might serve the living God. She comes before him, verse 27, for this is the child, she tells Eli, this is the child for which I prayed, and the Lord granted my position. And she says, therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. When she came to the place where she released him to the Lord, she was able to worship. Now watch this. She's releasing this child out of her care at a very young age, but she's releasing him for the rest of his life. She's committing him and dedicating him and consecrating him for the rest of his life. That again just reminds me, it shows me the image in the picture that this is not for her. This is for the kingdom of God. She has grown to the place, even in her pain, even in her absence, that you know what? I don't have to have it my way, but if I can just bless God, Lord, bless me so I can bless you back. That's what she's doing. And so she prayed to, for the privilege of being a mother, and she prepared for the release as a mother. And finally, if you pick up there, as, as we kind of moving through the, the remainder of that text, she says, look, I'm not going to release him until it's time. She releases him when it's time. They worship the Lord there. And as we move into chapter 2, what happens is we see Hannah in the beginning of chapter 2. She, she, she writes this great poem of, of her elation of how excited she is that God has honored her petition. And she has had the opportunity to raise this child to a certain age and wean him and give him back to God so that he can serve God for the remainder of his days. But she doesn't stop there. Because what she does next is that she goes back and she prepares, if I can say it this way, she promotes his success in the ministry. If you look over there in verse chapter two, verse uh, number 18 and 19, it picks up after we get the story of Eli's sons and all the wickedness they do. While they're doing wickedly, the Bible says that in verse number 18, but Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child wearing a linen ephod. While everybody else in the house was acting wickedly. Y'all don't see this. While the the older boys who should have known better. Was sleeping with the women in the temple. Drinking the wine and acting a fool. This child because he's been nurtured. Because he's been prepared to serve God. He's ministering in the house of God. And he's there as a child wearing a linen ephod. Ministering before the Lord. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe. And bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. In other words, she wanted to make sure that her child had had the right investments in him so that when he served the Lord, that he would be properly attired. She wanted to make sure as he stood before God that he had the right clothes on. She she wanted to make sure that when when he came to church, he looked like he was coming to church. Now, that's a motherly thing. Where are you going with that? She, she made sure that he had the, the garments to, to minister before the Lord, that he would be successful before the Lord, that he was uh, uh, truly uh, prepared to worship the Lord and serve and stand before the Lord. And, and, and I could just imagine her coming each year, uh, you know, adding a few inches to the robe because she knew her son had grown up. A little bit more and she brought a robe for him that that he might be attired before God that he might represent God well 
as he was uh, dedicated and, and, and as a Nazarite before God, making sure that, that he was prepared to serve God and had no hindrances in serving the Lord. Can I help us write about here? Mothers uh, have a way of contributing to our success even after we're out there serving the Lord. They have a way of, of comforting us and giving us advice and continuing to deposit into our lives even after they released us. We have a responsibility, parents and mothers, to continue to contribute to the success of our children in their service to God. Praise the name of the Lord. She prayed for the privilege of being a mother. She prepared to release her child as a mother would. And finally, she promotes the success in her son's service to the Lord. It's just a cycle of a mother. Praise the Lord. You've been listening to the radio broadcast ministry of Kettering Baptist Church under the leadership of Senior Pastor Bukas Sterling III, where we minister in the spirit of excellence. We pray that you have been richly blessed by today's message. Financial contributions in support of this ministry are welcome. We thank you in advance for uniting with us in kingdom building. For a copy of this sermon on CD or to hear this message again on the web, please visit our website at KetteringMinistries.org and remember to reference the title or broadcast date. We hope that you have enjoyed our journey together and we invite you to join us for one of our spirit-filled worship services Sundays at 8 a.m. or 11 a.m. at our new edifice called the Legacy Center located at 6909 Crane Highway, Upper Marlboro, Maryland. For additional information, go to our website at KetteringMinistries.org or contact our church office at 301-574-3515. Please join us again as Senior Pastor Bukas Sterling III and the Kettering Baptist Church family minister in the spirit of excellence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.